I mentioned this morning we're going to discuss tonight killing babies. Now, I know that's an unusual title for a lesson. We're going to look at three different things. One is abortion. That's killing babies. And number two, the child sacrifice in idolatry that you read of in the Old Testament. But then the third thing, which is more unique, and I'll admit, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone in a sermon or a Bible class really deal much with this, but what about when God said, or God did, say, go kill this nation, or God, for instance, in the flood, Babies were killed. So we're going to discuss that briefly as well. First of all, abortion. Well, the good news is between 2008 and 2014, the overall U.S. abortion rate declined by 25%. The bad news is that even though there was a decline, there were still over 900,000 abortions in 2014. In fact, about four in 10 of unintended pregnancies were terminated by abortion. That should shock us all and sadden us all. Over 60 million abortions have taken place since Roe versus Wade legalized abortion. The number of abortions at over 60 million is more than the collective populations of Wyoming, Vermont, North Dakota, Alaska, South Dakota, Delaware, Montana, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Maine, Hawaii, Idaho, Nebraska, West Virginia, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, Kansas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Iowa, Connecticut, Oklahoma, Oregon, Kentucky, Louisiana, and South Carolina. That is 27 states. That kind of kind of comes to grip with what 60 million really is. Well, anytime we approach a question, it should be with, well, what does the Bible say about this? First of all, consider life. Life is given by God. In Acts 17, 25, you read, He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. In fact, it's humans that are made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But as we consider life with abortion, we're considering life in the womb. In Jeremiah 1, verse 5, you read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And so here it would speak of God's recognition of life before the physical birth. In Psalm 119, beginning in verse 13, we're not going to read that whole passage just for time's sake. But in verse 13 it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so again, it's God's acknowledgement that there is life even when that child is in the womb. In Job 31, verse 15, you read, Did not he who made me in the womb make him, and did not one fashion us in the womb? And again, it's an acknowledgement of God and the life that was given even while it's in the womb. 
In Isaiah 42, excuse me, 44 verse 2, there you read, Thus says the Lord, who made you, who formed you from the womb. And again, an acknowledgement. God's recognizing life even, it's, even when it's in the womb. I find it also interesting as you would take the New Testament and look at that word for that child that's in the womb and then that for that child that's outside the womb. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, you read, when, Mary, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. The baby leaped in her womb. The Greek word for baby there is brephos. As you go a few verses later, verse 44, you read, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Once again, that word for baby is brephos. In Luke chapter 2, verse 12, here you read, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Well, you recognize this as that occasion when the shepherds are given the sign about Jesus who's born. Oh, by the way, wrapped in swaddling cloths, he's born. He's not yet now still in the womb. But yet in English, we have the word baby just as we had had previously when the baby was in the womb. But also the Greek word is also the same, brephos. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, there you read, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The word childhood there, very clearly that would be the as it were, the baby or the child outside the womb and its brephos. We need to understand that as I take my Bible and pick it up, it's not making a distinction between the embryo or the fetus and the baby that's born that's outside the womb. The same word is used for all in Greek, and then of course translated even that way in English. So I'd say, okay, God gives that life. He recognizes it as life even when it's in the womb, and that same word's used to describe the baby in the womb, the baby outside the room. Well, understand further that God values the life of the unborn so much that if the baby has been harmed, the baby in the womb's been harmed, the one doing the harm is liable. Look at Exodus 21. Listen to these verses, 22 through 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the husband's woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strife for strife. Not only was that, that baby recognized as, as a living creature, but there was penalty. Even if it was not harmed, greater penalty if it was harmed. Friends, murder is wrong, and therefore abortion's wrong. 
In Genesis 9, verse 6, you read, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man his own image. This was just following the flood and some basic general principles and laws and regulations given to mankind. You don't shed the blood of man. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, you read, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven are abomination. And in verse 17, at the last of that verse, hands that shed innocent blood. There is no more innocent than that baby inside the womb. And here he talks about hands that shed innocent blood. So yes, abortion's wrong. Much, much more could be said about it. We've got three points tonight, not just one. But did you know in the U.S. it is illegal to take, kill, or possess turkey vultures? Okay, I grew up calling them buzzards. And if you do that, there's violation of the law and it's punishable by a fine of up to $15,000 and imprisonment of up to six months. A turkey vulture. A buzzer. But yet, it's legal for a woman to take the life of her child in the womb. I'm convinced that this subject needs to be preached. It must be taught. Our children need to learn it from the time they're little. That, that baby in the womb is to be protected and is to come to full term. But I'd also recognize if someone has, has committed this sin, it's not an unpardonable sin. It can be forgiven as any sin can be forgiven. And I would beg for those who have committed this sin to go before their God and to recognize what God has said, what God has taught, so all our sins can be forgiven and we can be right before God again. First point about killing babies, abortion. The second point about killing babies is the killing of babies as a part of idolatrous religions. Actually, there's quite a number of passages that you'd find in the Bible about this. And we're not going to read all of these just for sake of time. And some we're going to read just kind of a portion of the passage so you can see what was happening. In Leviticus chapter 1, chapter 18, verse 21, you read, You shall not give any of your children to offer to Molech. So, here as Moses writes, the law is warning the Israelites not to give your children to offer them to Molech. Then in verse 27, for the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. What he's speaking of is these Canaanite people that 
That is how depraved their religion was, that they would offer their children as a burnt sacrifice to their God. And he's warning them, you don't do this. The people in the land you go, they've done it. Don't you do this. Well, as you get to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means second law. That's this occasion of the giving of law again prior to going into Canaan, the promised land. There in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 and 12. For there shall not be found among you anyone, now listen, he gets specific, who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Don't you do like the nations that are in Canaan. Their sin's so great, I'm driving them out. Once again, when you think in terms of a religion that would burn the son or the daughter as an offering, what a depraved religion it is. Well, that was Canaanites. And God saying, don't you be like them. And then the amazing thing is, is that it just kind of progresses. See, get over to 2 Kings 3, 26 and 27. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Eden, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. Okay, maybe not a baby, but still the idea. King of Moab doing this. Then you get 2 Kings 16, verses 2 and 3. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. And realize here, we're talking about a king of, of Judah reigning in Jerusalem, one of the line of David. Verse three, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now listen, he even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. It's kind of like, wait, the Canaanites, and we just read of the, the king of Moab. But the king of Judah? God's people? And he was so specific back in the law. In Numbers, then in Deuteronomy. How do we get to this point? 
But nevertheless, we find that's the progression of sin. When you get to 2 Kings 17, verses 6 and 7, this is a point where you're reading about why they lost the kingdom. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Haber, the river of Gozan, and the cities of the Medes. And this occurred. Israel taken captive. This occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. Now verse 17. It gets a little more specific into the point of our lesson tonight. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So the idea of burning the sons and the daughters as offerings was a part of God saying, I'm not going to let you stay in the land that I gave you any longer. You're going to be taken captive. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah 19, verses 3 through 5, you shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to the other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the, listen, the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. This is how sad some religions, this is how depraved some religions have come. And sadly, even we found it both with Judah and Israel. Abortion. Child sacrifice in religion. And so then someone raises the question, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the killing of babies by God's own destruction? Now sometimes we've not really thought a lot about that, but if you think about it, in the flood, wouldn't there have been babies, newborns, children? And yet they died in the flood. Fast forward a little bit. The 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. Is it likely that amongst these who would be the firstborn, there would have been some babies, some children? There was the annihilation of the Midianites, Numbers 31. There was the destruction of Jericho. You remember that occasion as that first conquest into Canaan and those walls fall? What about the babies, the children? And then there was the death of the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. And yes, there would have been babies 
and children to die. Well, I can tell you what happens. Atheists will sometimes call attention to these passages. Passages sometimes that we've just not kind of really thought through completely. And say, well, what about God killing the babies? And in essence, what they're trying to do is to, in the mind of the believer, discredit God. As if God has crossed the moral boundaries of the believer so that he ceases to believe. Atheists use this. I think it's a bit ironic that atheists would use this as an argument when the atheists themselves who call attention to this are generally 100% pro-abortion at all places and at all times. No morality in this regard with the atheist. Now I'd like to make some observations about this, about this of these instances where these, whether it was people or a nation or even the world, destroyed. And there would certainly have been some babies and some children. One of the first things I would say is there are some things that are easier to understand and explain than other things. And it's my personal opinion that this particular thing is not as easily explained and understood as some other subjects. And secondly, I'd like to point out what happened in these instances is far different than what is happening in abortion today and in the child sacrifice to idols. Now somebody might take a step back and say, well, the children died. Yes, but it's not the same thing. And yes, it is different. In abortion, the child, the innocent, if you would, is the target. The one who is purposely killed and the reason he is killed is the choice of another. And might I say, the choice of another that's not so innocent. It is the sinful and the guilty targeting the innocent. That's what happens in abortion and in this child sacrifice for the, idol for the idols. But in the instances that God commanded death or caused death, it was God, the holy, who could not tolerate the unholy, sinful, whether it was the nation or as in the time of the flood, Genesis 6, the world. And the only answer was death. That in and of itself is far, far different than the abortion and then child sacrifice for the idols. Sadly, these babies, these children, they were a part of the world that was so sinful that God determined to destroy it. 
Sadly, it happened to be the case that they would have been a part of, whether it had been Jericho, or whether it would have been the Amalekites, nations that were deemed must be destroyed. You realize in abortion, the child is not given a choice or opportunity. But as you consider God bringing judgment upon sin, in the matter of the flood, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. So he was preaching, and he was preaching about doing right. And I would suggest this, his preaching wasn't an overnight or a sudden or immediate or only a day sort of thing. The building of the ark took 120 years. But yet the world remains sinful in spite of time, opportunity, and preaching. In the matter of the death of the firstborn, this was the tenth plague. It wasn't the first plague. Had Pharaoh and Egypt responded and allowed the people of Israel to leave when asked, there wouldn't have been all of the plagues, wouldn't have been this tenth plague. In the matter of Jericho and Canaan, there was quite a delay, a delay to the point of God, though not being able to tolerate the sinful nations of Canaan. See, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, you read, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, that is, God's people, those descendants of Abraham, would come back here, Canaan, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. It's as if they're bad. But one day they're going to get really bad. And when it gets to that point, they're going to be driven out. And Israel, you will take this land. So when we're talking about the death of these innocents, it's not the same as that death by abortion. It's not the same as the death by child sacrifice. Death still happens, yes, but it's not the same. It's not the same as a wicked person killing their baby, a wicked person offering this child to an idol. It's rather a holy and just God who must defeat and destroy sin. And he didn't target, if you would, that single innocent baby or the babies, rather the nation, the people. A third thing I'd like to point out is God is God. Somebody might say, okay, uh, that's self-evident. God is God. I am not God. I'm his creation. And there's a little bit of the element of who am I to, to, to be able to know or question God? I may not fully understand everything, but that does not mean that I cannot have faith in God. And Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, you read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's just this, the ways of God, the only way I can understand them is if he's explained them to me. 
if he's revealed them to me in his word. It may not be that he reveals everything to us to the point that we in our finite minds fully understand it. Someone once told me, they said, I might not understand how a TV works, but that does not mean that I don't believe that the TV works, that I don't believe in the TV. Well, I might not always understand every question I have about God, but I don't quit believing in God because I don't have the capacity to understand or because I have not been revealed in God's word the answer to my specific question. A fourth thing to consider with the killing of these babies, I would acknowledge that these innocent babies who happen to be part of a sinful people or nation who lose their lives are spiritually safe these babies are not accountable. I wouldn't start here, and I would be careful how much I push this point. Because if we were just to kind of throw up our hands and say, well, it doesn't really matter, they're safe. Well, the abortionist might say, well, hey, this child, even if it is a child, I, I want to call it an embryo or or maybe a fetus, not a baby, uh, but, 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 but okay, even if we give it that, if then it's spiritually safe, why? The more abortions, the better. I think we need to be careful how we say and what we say about, okay, yes, they are spiritually safe. It's the matter that God condemned our wicked hands taking the life of the innocent, period. I don't have that right, you don't have that right. But yes, it is the case that those innocents, they are spiritually safe. I don't know if this, I hope, we're all in agreement about abortion. Hope we're all in agreement that child sacrifice for idolatry is wrong. And I would recognize that this last question is not an easy thing to answer. But I hope we're in agreement that our God is holy, our God is just, and our faith need not be shaken by this question. As we close, I'd like to say heaven's invitation is offered to you. If we can assist you in your obedience tonight, if there's a need for baptism, a need for prayer, please come as we stand. As